So I'm going to read from uh, Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. Can you hear me okay? What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. That's a, uh, a great passage, uh, and uh, it happens in Galatians, which is a book where uh, Paul's been telling a group of people who were saved by grace, but they'd fallen back under the law. They'd fought, you know that sort of thought that God saved me by his grace, but now I've got to be really, really good, and if I'm not really good, well, he'll let me go. And uh, he's brought to that group of people. We often think like that in our hearts. You know when you're thinking it, when you think, uh, oh, yeah, I don't deserve to be a Christian because of what I've done. Well, then you've gone back under law, haven't you? Because none of us deserve to be Christians. We've never, we never deserved it at the beginning and we never deserved it at the end. So the book of Galatians is really telling us that we were saved by grace and then we go on to grace, living by grace. And that's good news, isn't it? It's good news if you're a sinner like me. Uh, don't know about all of you. But he uses an example of, a, of an heir, he says, there's a, 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 who's underage. So imagine this. Uh, a father dies and his 10-year-old son's going to take over the farm. But his 10-year-old son can't take over the farm because he's 10 years old. So he's brought up under there's laws and guardians and people who would look after him until he turns 18, at which point he takes over the whole farm. But up until that age, he's really saying he's kind of a slave. He's not, he has no freedom for that eight years. And then he has freedom afterwards. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's actually talking about the law. And he's saying that we were under the guardianship of the law. There's nothing wrong with the law, is there? The law of God? No, nothing wrong with it at all. I, I'm sorry to do this, but I've got to go on a tangent every time I talk about law because you've got to understand what the law really is. Why did God make, say, the Ten Commandments? Why did he do that? Why, why did he say, thou shalt not murder and don't steal and committing adultery and coveting? Let's make it, was he saying... Let's make it really hard for the people and I'll give them some laws that's going to make it difficult. It's not that at all. Because if he had, he would have said, I, I always wonder why he hasn't got a law that do not eat broccoli. It's a, it's a sensible law, isn't it? Um, God made the laws in line with his character. Okay? So when he says, um, do not lie, that's because he's the truth. That makes sense? So when he says don't lie, he's saying be like me. Okay? When he says do not steal and do not covet, he's saying do, do not ache for or want anything else but what you already have in me because God is completely happy in his own being. He needs to steal no glory from anybody. He is the glorious Father. So 
Um, and if he says, do not commit adultery, he's saying, he is the God who is faithful. So if you don't commit adultery, you're like him. Does that make sense? So really, if you obeyed all of God's law, what would you look like? You'd look like God. You'd be like the Father. So, so why I say that is, there's nothing wrong with the law at all. So why is Paul saying we're under this, with slaves uh, to this guardianship of the law? The problem with the law is, is me. Because I don't obey the law. That's the problem, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with the law. God, it's the perfect standard of God's character. The problem is that I don't live that, or none of us do. So, so that same law, which is very, very good, becomes to us a burden. It becomes to us, uh, well, actually condemnation, doesn't it? Because we don't live up to the character of God, and you know that there will be no one in heaven who has not completely, 100% lived up to the character of God. Seeing that rules us all out, it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Yeah? <laughs> right. So what happens in that is that at the set time, it says, God did something about our problem. Um, when we were underage, we were under the slavery of the elemental spiritual forces. So we were enslaved to sin. Jesus said anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Yep. Uh, you're stuck in it. Uh, the problem is our hearts. People, you know, you look at um, the problem with uh, uh, Russia, Ukraine, is an evil man, right? The problem with domestic violence, an evil man. Yep, and all of that's true. The problems with all sorts of things, evil people, but no one stops and says, so what they say is if we could re-educate Vladimir Putin, then it'll all be good. If we re-educate evil men, then it'll be good. If we could stop this and make laws and that and laws and so on, then we could make the world a better place. But that, none of that addresses the actual problem, which is sin in the human heart, and we've all got it. Yep. You know that Lord of the Flies book where they put these innocent young boys on a desert island, and what happens? They all start killing each other. Where does that come from? The point of the book is it comes from the heart, which is the, which is the heart of the problem. So what God does is he does something to deal with the very heart of humanity. Okay, I'm going to talk about this verse for a minute, then I'm going to talk about God's fatherhood, I hope, this passage, so I hope that'll make sense. Okay, at God's perfect time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So uh, he, um, God sent his son, who was born under the law, but the difference with Jesus was he always obeyed the law. So he could say, I am the father of one. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He was the perfect son. In every way, he obeyed the law. So in every way, he was like the father. And so he was born under law, but he obeyed the law. Why does it say born of a woman? Well, he's actually pointing back to the very first promise in Scripture here, that, which is in Genesis 3.15. Right at the time, like just after the first sin, God gives the first promise of a saviour. Born of a woman, a son I will send to you of Eve, who will crush the head of the Satan, of the evil one. 
And this is Jesus. What's he going to do? Well, he's crushing the head of the one who's brought disobedience into the world or ungodliness, not being like God or disobedience to the law. He's going to crush the head. Why did, why did Jesus come into the world? The reason, uh, John says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What did the devil bring? Sin, condemnation, separation from God. But God, at the right time, sent his son to restore that. He sent his perfectly obedient son. So, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. To redeem means to buy back. Jesus bought us back. At what cost? What, was, what did he pay to buy us back? His life. He gave up his life. He died. That's an incredibly valuable, precious life that was given up, the life of God's son for us. He bought us back at the price of his own son, his body. And he purchased us for life. And if you read Ezekiel 36, it says he's given us a new heart. He's taken out the heart of unrighteousness. He's destroyed the work of the devil. He has taken all of our sin. He has brought full forgiveness. And he has made us pure from the heart. That's good. That's, our problem is gone. In Christ. His righteousness, it's all from him. Everything we have is him. Now, we weren't just forgiven our sins so that we could be clean. We were forgiven so we could be clean. But we were forgiven for a reason, okay? It wasn't just, I'll make you good people and there you are, you'll be good people, you can act as good people. It was for adoption, to be adopted back into the father's family because now, well, we look like the father again. Yep, we look like him. We have his obedience. So we're brought back into a relationship with God. And so if you want to know your purpose in life, it's to be a child of God. That's what you're made for. And through faith in Christ, you are restored to that. That's awesome, isn't it? Because sometimes we can think the church is a factory. You know, we've got to... Everyone's got to do their bit, do their bit, keep it rolling. You've got to serve God in this way. And serve. But he's saying, no, no, because the words servant and slave are usually the same word in Greek. You were changed from that to be a child of God. You were made for a purpose, to be the family of God. Actually, all of time is about God preparing a family for himself, which is going to celebrate forever in heaven, and it's going to be awesome. That's good, isn't it? So we were made for adoption. And because you are his sons. Now, why does he say sons? Sons is particularly, because, you know, you might think if you're a woman, you're having trouble being a son. Sons is particularly, <coughs> excuse me, talking about the heir, the heir to the farm, basically, the heir to the kingdom. So, uh, so you're, you're all sons, even the daughters are sons. But if you get worried about daughters, you might think it's a bit weird to be a son. Don't worry, all you men, you're going to be brides of Christ too. So we'll all be mixed up together um, <clears throat> in that. But you will receive all of the heir 
And, and we don't want to think about that so much as being, oh, you know, streets paved with gold and all that sort of stuff. You will be with God, the Father. You will be with the Saviour, Jesus, forever. That is our prize, and it's an awesome prize, that there is nothing better. So we are given the, the sonship, adoption, we are heirs. We are children of God. And the Spirit does this incredible work in us. He calls out in our hearts, Abba, Father. Um, that it's that thing, that cry, when you're in your deepest need, where your heart cries out, Father. It's, um, sometimes people say it's like, Daddy, it's kind of not, because Daddy, Daddy's good, uh, there's an aspect of that in God, but he's more than that. He, his firmness and his holiness and his plan make him our dearest Father. And we cry out that in our hearts. When we know him as Father, we have everything we need. Yeah. When we know him as Father, we have everything we need. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to death. That's not the way God had planned. That's for the slaves. For the child, we are are born into righteousness and to eternal life. Okay, who did all this? God did. That's the awesome thing about it. Because if Christianity relied on any of us, we will not get through. It relies on a work of grace that he's done for us, which is awesome. Now, when we talk about God as Father, you've got to understand that human fathers are a little bit like God. But God is nothing like human fathers. Okay? He, he, they're not... God's here. Oh, sorry, God's here and we're down here. Human fathers... But most human fathers resemble in some way maybe a few small things, but God is nothing like that. God is perfect. And uh, Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, you know, you human fathers, even though you're evil, you know how to give some good stuff to your children, right? But basically, you're you're nothing like God. But God is perfect. And he is the God who pursues us, the Father who pursues us in his love. He chases people down. You see it in Paul, don't you? Here he is. What's he doing? Breathing out murderous threats on his way to arrest, perhaps even kill Christians. And God appears to him. How about that? That's a God who pursues sinners. That's where we were when he got us. He is a God who, what does it say? Surely goodness and love, or goodness and mercy, shall follow me all the days of our life. That follow me, that's in Psalm 23. The word follow me there is the same verb used when Pharaoh was chasing down the Israelites to kill them. Hang on. So God's chasing us down with his love and mercy. Yeah? He pursues us in love and grace. He is an incredible father. And he has a plan of salvation which what he's done is restored us to the likeness of his son. And he's done it at the right time. God's perfect timing. 
There's two things really about being a Christian, which uh, I was talking to an old pastor once and uh, talking about someone who wanted to become a Christian. He said, well, you should tell him. There's two things that Christian, because he was converting from being a Hindu. Uh, two things in Christianity that no other religion has. You have full forgiveness of sins. Now, when you say full, we meant 100%, right? How forgiven are you in Christ? It's either 100% or it's nothing, because if it's 99%, you're not going to make it. Full forgiveness. And the second thing you have, assurance, security. God gives us a security because we're not holding on to God. He's holding on to us. He is going before us. He is, he is, he is ahead of us. He is working in our lives before we wake up each morning. We have an assurance and a full forgiveness of sins and a full reconciliation because he is a covenant father. And the covenant means he, it's based on his promise. Now, he's made a promise to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And never means never. That's a covenant promise, right? He's made us his children, never will I leave you. That's our father. He's made unconditional promises to us. He is always with us. He's fiercely protective. Now, when you say fiercely protective, it means of our souls because we are actually all going to get sick and we're all going to die and we're all going to have very bad days sometimes. But God's fierce protectiveness never goes away even in those times. He is always with us. He is the God who disciplines us. And uh, in Hebrews 12, it says, the Father disciplines us through hardships. And we hate hardships because hardships are hard. But in those hardships, he disciplines us to rely on him, to trust in him, to turn to him, to need him. Because when you're in a place where you know you need him, you're in a very good place. Even if, as far as this world's concerned, you're in a very bad place. You're in the best place ever. Okay. And he... I'll say it again. He has restored us. He is sovereign. There is nothing in this world that he's not in control of. That doesn't mean we understand everything and we wonder what's going on, but we can trust in that. He is sovereign. He's in control and he loves us and he is working in all things for our good. Now, we want to define what good looks like. Yeah? Good means easy. That's the Western world, Right? Hard is bad, good is easy. No, God is working in all things, even if we call them bad, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we want to be those people who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So our trust is in Christ. That's why uh, Peter, as an old man, at the end of his, uh, his writing says, so we entrust ourselves to the faithful creator. And trust ourselves to him. Okay. We are always on his mind. We're not out of the father's mind. We long to be on someone's mind. We long to be known and loved. Um, We hate being forgotten. We hate being unloved. We hate being rejected. But we are always on the father's mind We're always in his heart and he is tirelessly working for us. I'll say it again. I've I've said this lots of times in different ways, but 
When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life, yeah, he wasn't saying it just so that, you know, so we could know our way and so that we, you know, we'd have a truth to live by and we'd have eternal life. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's the point of Jesus? He brings us to the Father. That's why he's the way, the truth and the life. That's why he's like this. Okay. I want to just finish with a thought about Jesus. You know, um, Jesus, in this, when he lived his life on earth, was, I would say, most definitely the most rejected man in history. He was the most hated and despised. Even uh, when the crowds followed him in large numbers, they all went away when he wouldn't do miracles and do what he said. And he ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, Abba, Father. By that time, he'd lost basically everybody. Everybody had turned on him, except the few disciples who were with him who were going to sleep. He had nothing as far as this world went. He, he had Abba, Father. He had everything. And then... He went to the cross and then those few disciples, well, they left him too. He was completely despised and rejected by all men. And he cried, Father, forgive them. He knew the Father. He had everything, even though as far as this world goes, he had nothing. But then on the cross, under the, the punishment of human sin that we deserve, he prayed the one time that he prays without calling God Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he experienced there the complete abandonment of the Father in our place. He experienced that which we deserve. He experienced the full punishment and condemnation for sins. He was abandoned. That we might never need to be abandoned through faith in him. The reason we can have a promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, is because Jesus had all of that he had that was good taken away. He had everything when he knew the Father, but he was, it was all stripped away and even... His relationship with the Father was broken for us. Why do I say all that? From a practical point of view, in our lives, we will all and we go through times where we feel like everything's been stripped away. We feel like some days everything's on top of us and we've got nothing left. I don't know if you ever feel like that. Like nothing left. You feel like, I've got nothing left to rely on. I've got nothing left to turn to. But, you see, we will never face that abandonment because Jesus faced it once and for all. We will always be able to cry, Abba, Father. So if we have, as far as this world's concerned, nothing of value left, we have everything because we have the Father. And when we know, the, what does Paul say, the all-surpassing greatness of knowing him, when we have a knowledge of the Father, we've got everything. Everything we could ever want or ever need. And that 
is what gives us the basis for our lives as Christians. And that will take us through our old age. That'll take us through sickness. Might take some of us through dementia. That'll take us through death. That'll take us to eternal life in the Father's house, at the Father's table, forever. I'm going to pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the love and grace you've shown us. It's true, we're sinners. We've fallen short of your glory. We deserve nothing of you. And so we are so thankful for what you have done for us. Thankful that you sent your son. And Father, I pray that your spirit would continue to cry out in our hearts, Abba, Father, that we might know you in your fatherhood, in your faithfulness, in your glory, and that we might know the assurance that you've brought us and the full forgiveness of sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.